Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of the RPM Show. And I am with Mr. Brian Charlton, who has two Model A Fords. We're sitting in his garage. So if you guys listened to my last uh, podcast episode, it was also done in a garage and at the car show. So this is a new format that I'm really, really liking. It's, it's, it's just great. So, Brian. Welcome to the RPM show. Good afternoon. Good to meet you, Tony. Let's talk about uh, these two vehicles that I'm looking at. Let's start with the one on my right. Tell us about this. That would be uh, the first car that we had built um, back in 2007. It's a 1930 Model A, mainly in name only and in running gear, but it's built as a Model A Speedster. So it's built in the style of what a 20s and 30s fairgrounds racer would have most likely been like uh, out in the Midwest, uh, up through New England. Um, Some people have also likened it to what they may have seen years ago on the Vanderbilt Motor Parkway. Mm. Not so much like that, but it's basically the same concept. It's, um, the body is all handmade uh, by my son Matt and I. The running gear is basically stock. The engine is changed out. It's a little bit more modified, a little bit more horsepower. But it's still a flathead. It's still a flathead, mm-hmm. inline, four-cylinder, 200 cubic inches. Uh, the, the engine dates from around 1932 to 36. It's called a Model B engine. And that's mainly because the internals have a little bit more beef to them, um, counterweighted crankshafts, a lot of other technical stuff. But the car still has mechanical brakes. It's street legal. And uh, we also will take the headlights off and the plates off on occasion and run it around on the dirt tracks in Pennsylvania. We've raced them on the beach in Wildwood, New Jersey at the Race of Gentlemen. And we have plans this year to go to the Allentown Fairgrounds where they're running drag races in front of the old grandstands in the limestone. And there's also uh, some really good vintage eliminator events going on throughout New England and Pennsylvania, too, specifically geared to this era of cars, all pre-war. And your other vehicle? The other vehicle we started building this past, uh, last fall, it's a 1931 Model A Roadster. And that's being built specifically as a track vehicle. Um, that will actually be more the one to race at various dirt tracks. It's being set up like a roadster racer would have been in the 50s and the late 40s. Uh, Very basic, very open. Um, It's a bit of a conglomeration. It has 1930 parts with it and 1929 parts, which means that there's been a lot of body modifications that had to be done to kind of make everything fit. Mm. It's a it's a it's a little bit of a of a throw together, but again, it would be done in that style of what somebody would do back in those days when they were just making do with what they had. What would you say would would <clears throat> is the major difference between these two between these two models? The one is the one was built primarily to be driven on the street, driven locally, and occasionally take it off-road and and run around with it on on a dirt oval track uh 
the Roadster is being built specifically to do the Vintage Eliminator Drag Racing, which is eighth-mile pavement events mm. uh, at a place called South Mountain Drag Strip in Pennsylvania, over near Carlisle. And this is a quarter-mile track? It's a quarter-mile track. Uh, it's owned by a Long Islander by the name of Mike Natoli, uh, and who I've known for many years. And he really likes the idea of getting a lot of vintage cars up there three to four times a year. And it's a very well-attended event with cars dating from the 20s and 30s all the way up to the 50s. And it's strictly done on the eighth mile, and it's all done as bracket racing. So you could have the fastest or the slowest, and that's really not so much important as consistency. Mm -hmm. Matter of fact, the last two events were won by a friend of mine in New Jersey who drives a 1917 Model T. Wow. <laughs> so it's all about consistency, not about wow. flat-out speed. Mm -hmm. So that's what this is being built for because... A lot of times we don't want to make the changes from street legal to racing on the track. Sometimes I'm getting older, it's just easier to leave well enough alone and have something ready to go. So it's really difficult to have one that would do well at both, be a street car and also do well in the races? It, it's difficult just because of different things that you want to do to it. Um, especially with oval track racing, there's certain things that you want to do to help it handle going in a circle sure. that don't necessarily work out really well for regular everyday street driving. I see. I see. Now, rumor has it that this garage that we're sitting in was uh, built with these two cars in mind. Is that correct? It, it, it kind of was. Um, we added on to the house and put the garage on uh, about 22 years ago. And for years prior to that, um, we did a lot of different things. We, we raced competitive high-speed go-karts for about 10 years. So we, everything got worked out of the basement. And that's all well and good when you're dealing with a small machine like that. But as my son got older, we added on for other reasons. And we were encouraged to, while he was still in high school, find an old car that we could work on together. And that became a 1947 pickup truck that we worked on and that's since come and gone. And then we evolved into Model A-based cars. And that really came from my son. Um, at, when he was 18, he really became very interested in Model A Fords, which they built for four years from 1928 to 31. And they built like six and a half million of them. So there's parts and pieces all over the place. To this day, there's still Oh, to this stuff day. You can buy all kinds of stuff. And everything is is remanufactured, except for the frame. You could go out and buy all kinds of body parts and pieces, and maybe they don't fit exactly, but you could basically build a car from scratch from a catalog. Wow. It's crazy. Wow. But he had the idea of getting involved and building a Speedster because we had gone to an event in Pennsylvania back in 2004 called the Jalopy Showdown. And that was held at the Eastern Museum of Motor Racing. And they have an old fairgrounds track there. And they run these cars around just for fun. Nobody's competing. It's all go out, run around, have some fun. Literally play in the dirt with your friends mm -hmm. is what it comes down to. And boy, that both of us became enamored with that. And he went ahead, found something, and we ended up building the first car. 
and that went on to a second car. Which this we is after took. the truck. This is after the truck. The truck had already gone down the road. Gotcha. Now we built a second car in 2009, and that's my son Matt's car. He keeps that at his house. Same basic concept. It's a boat tail speedster. Same type of running gear. And um, then the first car that we built was rebodied into the body that you see here in the garage now. It's also a boat tail speedster. And we rebodied that in 2015. And we've attended that showdown event every year since. And rain or shine, we pack up, load both cars onto the car trailer we have, and off we go. Even if it's going to rain, we go anyway because it's more of a family reunion than anything. Mm -hmm. And if the weather's with us, they'll pull in over 400 cars in a one-day event to the point where they'll have to shut down the show car area usually by about 10.30 in the morning and that's after opening the gates at 7. Wow. Then the track cars or the race cars as we call them they're, they're usually very well intended too. Usually anywhere between 45 and 60 cars will show up of various styles and years. That event held its they held their last event this past May but it's being taken over by the museum because all of the money that was made in the past goes right to the museum. And it's still going to get supported. And that's really good to see. And it's still going to be on our calendar to go there. Hmm. Why? What was the decision to, to stop? What, what could the the gentleman that promoted it had done it for close to 20 years. And he had decided that he needed to close that chapter in his life and, and hmm. move on. He runs an antique, um, the name of his company is called Flash and Trash Amusements. He does a lot of restorations on all kinds of stuff, old carnival games and pinball machines and literally every little bit of old advertising from the 20s all the way up to the 60s. Hmm. And he's very busy with that and he's on the board of directors of the museum, but he knew that he couldn't dedicate as much time to the show as it needed. So he's going to help out. He'll still be around. He just couldn't pick it up and run with it on his own, even though he had a lot of good volunteers. Mm -hmm. It needs more than one person to spearhead it, and it's going to get that now. The museum will take it over, and it'll still continue. It's open to any car pre-1962, and anybody that's never been, I'd encourage them to go. It's down in a little town called York Springs, Pennsylvania, just south of Harrisburg, great trip fun place to be mm. it's probably going to be transparent to the attendees that you know somebody else is running it because it's just going to continue it's already been announced yeah. uh, the, and people are very much encouraged by it and there's already a lot of folks that have marked the third week in May for next year on their calendar ready to go nice I've already made my reservation so that's awesome it's all good um, you mentioned that your son um, had this attraction to the Model A's and that's that's unusual for a teenager. To, to say the least. Yeah, to, for a teenager. So that just says a lot about your son and the fact that you guys have been doing this together, you know, almost from the beginning. So has he talked about what his attraction was to the Model A's? Is it something in particular? Or was it gradual? Or what was it? I think... I, excuse me. That's, I think that it became... In a lot of ways, I think it was the simplicity of 
the build of these cars. Mm. Compared to any kind of modern car, especially one with unibody construction, early 60s and on. Mm -hmm. But comparatively speaking, these cars are disgustingly simple. With common hand tools, you can do anything on these cars. You don't need a lot of specialized equipment. Mm -hmm. um, the engines are very simple. Um, and I believe that was part of what drew him to them, was the idea that it's pre-war technology back when cars were cars and everything was very heavy duty and truly built to last. There was no such thing as planned obsolescence. Mm. It was more, it was built, it was designed to last multiple lifetimes. Mm. And I believe that that's, from past conversations here and there, I believe that's one of the things that drew him to it was the ability to work on that without having to break the bank, without having to have this incredibly depth, incredible depth of knowledge of various pieces. It, it's very straightforward construction. But that, that seed that was planted early on to have that mechanical aptitude to gravitate towards that, that's you. That and he started early on with a mechanical aptitude. With uh, the robot, with the robot, with the robots. And he had he had done stuff with robotics in high school, mm -hmm. uh, beginning as a sophomore, and but even prior to that, all the way growing up, um, Legos, Lego sets, mechanical things. Um, he was always encouraged to go ahead and do stuff like that. Mm -hmm. um, and early on, when he was still in middle school, he had mentioned that he wanted to become an engineer. And typical, because you figure kids are going to change their mind like some people change their socks. Mm -hmm. You go, okay, yeah, that's great. But then we realized more and more that he really was focusing on that. And um, as time went on and he was going through high school, he started focusing on the classes that he needed and everything he needed to do to go to a school for engineering. And one thing just led to another. So um, even working on that, that first pickup truck that we worked on, uh, we did all kinds of stuff. We showed him how to use torches, how to use the welder, how to do all of that. And instead of shying away from it, he gravitated toward it. Mm. And I think the biggest thing was encouraging your child to not be afraid to try something. And maybe that's where he got from me. I don't know because we were never afraid to try to work on something. Because my, my, my thought was always, well, if I get halfway through it and I can't figure it out, I can always call somebody to fix it. Yeah. You know, the worst case scenario is I get dead-ended, I can't fix it, and now i got to call in somebody that I would have called in in the first place. Mm -hmm. But more often than not, you can get through it. Yeah. I did leave out, when we put this extension on, we had it constructed as a shell. Matt was in ninth grade. He and I finished the inside. We did the wiring and all the sheetrock. The only thing that I contracted out was the plumbing. 
because at that time you could do your own electrical wiring mm -hmm. as long as you had it UL approved. Yeah. I showed him how to do an outlet, how to do a hi-hat, and how to, when we all pulled the wires together. Mm -hmm. But I showed him how to wire an outlet and how to wire the hi-hats that are in the ceiling in the other room. He wired all of them after I showed him the first one. The underwriter came in when we were done, had yeah. to sign certificate. So it's more the idea of, here, this is how you do it. Go ahead. And I have faith in you that you're going to do it right. Yeah, that's well, the, I'm going to check you. I'm not going to yeah. let you screw up. Yeah. But, yeah. Well, you know, you got to let them go. But I think maybe that in, was it. You could see it in the cars here. These cars that you both, I'm pretty sure that even though he has his at his home, you guys have done this together with both of these cars. We, and we still do. He, he had a couple of issues with his last fall, brought it over. We troubleshot it together. Um, he recently has rekindled his interest in redoing a, a 1965 Mustang that he has. Mm -hmm. So he started making steps, taking steps to getting that restarted again and getting that project going. Kind of been on the back burner for a bit. He's been doing a lot of stuff around his house. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, the Speedsters are... Would you say he attracted you to these? Oh, he pulled me right in. Yeah. I was going down a whole different path. <laughs> I, I was looking That's interesting. To, I was looking to buy a... Um, I, a matter of fact, I had a flathead, power, flathead V8-powered four-door sedan and was looking to do some stuff with that. And he was looking at these, and he had picked one up to work on. And I started to realize what drew him to these. And the more I looked at the simplicity, and in some ways the beauty of it in their simplicity, I got away from dealing with 40s vintage cars mm -hmm. and decided that 20s and 30s were more my thing. Yeah. It, it, it comes down to something that somebody else said a long time ago, and it really confirms it. It's, it's more fun to try to go fast in a slow car than it is to go slow in a fast car. Mm. And, you know, speed, is, speed was my thing a long time ago. Mm -hmm. It's not my thing anymore. Mm -hmm. It's more just go and have some fun. The ability to be able to come out here and, and wrench on something that's not going to numb your mind is more of a cathartic thing. It's more of a, a good therapeutic thing to do rather than, ah, crap, I got to go work on this because it's broke. Yeah. It's more the idea of I can come out here and work on it to either make it better, fix it if it's broke, but I'm not going to, I'm not going to, it's not going to cost me an arm and a leg and I'm not going to spend a week trying to fix something that needs to be worked mm -hmm. on. It's one of those. It's more within the realm of a reasonable thing to do without being a huge time suck, if you will. Yeah. You know, which some cars can be. And it's interesting, uh, with some of our previous conversations, how you have uh, this community, this group of friends who you wouldn't have had it not been for these cars. 
you know, through yeah. shows that you've gone to, through people that you've met, you continue to meet throughout the years, and um, it's just something I see as I do these, you know, podcast interviews, and I go to these shows, and I see the camaraderie, I see the brotherhood, mm -hmm. whether it's male or female, you know, because there are a lot of couples very out much. there, and very much. Um, the spouses, the, the wives are just as much into it as, it's just so refreshing to it, see. You it, know? it is, and like in, in, in my case, my wife supports it, but it's not her thing. Mm -hmm. But, um, for example, later on in the summer, we'll be heading up to Port Jefferson, they'll, they'll have their hill climb mm -hmm. event. It's not really a competition, it's a reenactment. They do, the, they do it every five years. It was canceled from last year. But we'll drive both speedsters up to Port Jeff. And we take all the back roads because these, these things won't go faster than 58, 59 miles an hour. That's flat out wide open throttle. Yeah. So it, it's not designed for highway cruising. Mm -hmm. But we'll drive up there and she'll follow us in her car. And she'll tell me every time. She goes, I would, I'm happier just to follow along and give you a hand in case there's a problem. Mm -hmm. I don't need to ride in it. It's not my thing. And that's great. But she's also the first one to sit there and say, for example, if we go to Pennsylvania for a weekend, you guys go. Don't worry about the house. Don't worry about nothing. Just go. Go, have fun. I'll see you when you get back. Because she knows that this is like the average guy's golf game mm -hmm. to me. Mm -hmm. This is what we do to relax. Yeah. So where some people go bowling, some people go to the gym, some people go play golf. This is what we do. And she gets it. And that's a huge piece of it. Having that support makes a huge difference. But yeah. couples doing it together in the hobby, even better. Yeah. I was ready to interview at one of the shows. I think it was the Long Island um, Street Rod Association show. And I approached a couple. I said, would you like to you know, talk about your car? But I started focusing on the guy, the male mm -hmm. of the couple. And his wife is funny. She let me you know, talk. And I, you know, I introduced myself to her, but I shifted my attention to him. Making the wrong assumption mm -hmm. that it was his car. Right. Right? It was not. It's easy to do. So she yep. went, she made me laugh. She raised a hand and said, uh, hello, it's my car. Yeah. And that was a, that shifted. I yeah. had like, a, I, like, it was like, whoa, you know. So I don't, I, I try my best to not make that mistake. We, we okay. have that with these cars. Uh, I, uh, we have good friends. The, they're in Reading, Pennsylvania. It's a couple. Frank and Marsha, uh, they're in their early 70s, and uh, Frank's an old hot rod guy. Marsha runs land speed record cars. <laughs> She's run at Bonneville. Wow. She, she goes up to Loring Air Force Base in Maine, where they run in August, where they run a measured mile up there, and they're no slouches. Wow. And the two of them are, they're awesome people. Mm. We keep in touch through social media, through Facebook mainly, mm -hmm. but they were at the same event we were back in May, and they're out there. Marsha's got this nice little roadster that she runs around in with a similar engine setup like ours, and Frank's got his Model T. He's the fellow with the 1917 Model T, 
And he runs that thing around like there's no tomorrow. Has a blast. And it's an awesome couple. And it would be very easy to make that mistake. Mm-hmm. To look at them on the surface until you see Marsha get a fire suit and a helmet on. <laughs> and then yeah. all of a sudden your opinion changes because she's just as competitive as anybody else. Yeah. And that's the way it should be. Yeah. But yeah, you mentioned about the camaraderie. There's a lot of us, thanks to social media, we all keep in touch. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of groups that are dedicated to what we all like to do. And then Matt and I are also involved with a car club called the Barnstormers Vintage Speed Club. And we have members in Massachusetts and upstate New York and Vermont and Pennsylvania and Michigan and Washington State and California. There's 15 of us. But we rarely all get together at any one time. The last time that happened was three years ago in the middle of winter. We got together um, at a shop up in outside of Albany. But we raced together in Wildwood, New Jersey at the Race of Gentlemen. We, one of our members, a fellow from California, Timmy McMaster, he goes to Bonneville every year. He's trying to set a record in a class that's powered by what are called Y-block engines, Hmm. which were the first Ford V8 engines that were overhead valve. He specializes in those. Wow. Um, Kevin, who lives up in Massachusetts, has won the race of gentlemen in what's called the rail class. It's an open car, bare chassis, that's powered by a heavily modified flathead six-cylinder Hudson engine that runs like nobody's business. Um, And we all do different things. One of our members is a writer and a historian for Hemmings. Mm -hmm. And we have other people that do various things or into a little bit of everything. And another gentleman on the West Coast, Clayton, he's got a Model T that's appeared on a couple of the Jay Leno broadcasts. So it's a Model T Roadster that is nowhere near stock. But it's not this... T-bucket, it's still a Model T-powered car, but she'll cruise down the highway at 70 Hmm. because of stuff that he's done to it. It's really good. It's a really good group, and we all have these online chats that are ongoing, and we'll bounce ideas off each other and try to schedule events to meet up at, and we try to support each other any way we can. You know, I have, it brings to mind, I have so many different uh, interests and passions. Mm Mm-hmm. And why this, you know, um, I owned a gym, I'm a trainer, I'm a health coach, and uh, I recently made the decision to uh, create something that addresses this community and addresses everything that you said. And I can't really point to one thing, but it really is a something where I was pursuing my bliss. And this brings me joy in ways that other things don't. When I'm in a show and I approach someone, there was a, a gentleman in my previous podcast that he was brought home in his 57 Chevy as a baby when his mother delivered. You know, he, he, it's been in the family, you know, the whole time. Literally I mean, before he was born. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So it's stories like that. And, and the way that uh, people are able to open up and the passion that comes through when they are able to discuss their they're babies, you know, their pride and joys. It's and, just beautiful to see. And, and that's exactly it. It's, um, we don't really go to a lot of car shows, per se. Um, I'll hop in the car, I need to run to the hardware store. 
down in town. So I'll hop in the car and take a ride. I'll hop in the car and take a ride just for five minutes just to clear my head. Mm. Uh, hop in the car, take a ride, go down to Oakdale on a Thursday night when the weather's good. But Matt and I, we don't, we're not really into the idea of going to a car show to go park and sit in a chair and do that. Mm-hmm. That's, it was just never our thing. Yeah, yeah. But there are occasions that we do. But it just doesn't happen that often. Mm-hmm. But just the ability to just hop in and drive it and go and enjoy it, that's half the battle. Yeah. But the community as a whole is is interesting because everybody has the an interest in the automobile in some way, shape, or form. And you have groups that specialize in Mopars. You have groups that just do Chevys. Mm-hmm. Um, the Long Island Cadillac Club. Yeah, that's perfect. There's even people that do. There's a Model A club, Ford club of Long Island, excellent club. They've been around for many, many, many years. The folks that are more involved with that are more leaning toward the stock automobile. And while the like our cars are basically the same under the skin, we don't really fit with them. And I get that. I can respect that. But we all know that underneath that skin, we all share very common interests. Mm-hmm. But they, they go down a deeper rabbit hole than we go. Yeah. And that's great. And I think that's one of the, the nice things that I like is, it, it, I've said it with other friends, it's kind of like ice cream. We all like ice cream. Mm-hmm. <laughs> But we all don't need to like the same flavor because that really wouldn't be fun. Yeah. yeah. I mean, and there's there's cars that friends of mine have that they are very passionate about. I look at it and it, it doesn't do anything for mm-hmm. me. Mm-hmm. But I can appreciate what it does for them. Yeah. And I get the same thing with mine. Some people look at me like I'm out of my mind. And that's okay because it doesn't need... This is not a one-size-fits-all hobby. And you're not seeking... This is something you're doing... You're, you're intrinsically motivated. This is not something you're doing for others. You're doing this for yourself. Oh, no. No, you know? not at all. These cars yeah. were built with our own interests and personal feelings in mind. Yeah. These, these, they're not built for... Like, I'm not looking to go be judged. Yeah. I'm not... Trophy, I'm, yeah. I'm not... Or in, Which in, is okay if that's your thing. Yeah, if that's yeah, your yeah. thing, knock yourself out. Yeah. There's there's folks that do on older cars hundred point restorations. Go for it. That's a whole other area of the hobby. Mm-hmm. Maybe years ago I would have liked that. Now I'm at the point where I'm. I don't need to be that detail oriented. Yeah, and and you just brought up a good point. Like maybe years ago that was something that you were into. Um, over the years, I've changed. You know, oh, even sure. though I've I've owned every car under the planet. I still wish I owned these cars. I'd be a, a gazillionaire if I did. Um, but years ago, I was into the pro street look. Oh yes, the know? big tubbed out rears yeah, and the wide sneakers. A, exactly the big six seventy one, eight seventy one blower. On that top. was the thing in the eighties. Yeah, yeah, when, that's what I was into. When we promoted car shows in the eighties, that we got more pro street stuff that showed up. Mm-hmm. It was amazing. And now when I see them come to a show, I, you know, I go and I look, but it doesn't do it for me the way that it used Your to. Your taste now, change. I think Now it's more resto mod. 
Now it's more yes. taking an old car, putting something new. I visited Paul's Restos, uh, Rods and Restos in Deer Park two weeks ago, and they had so many of these types of cars where they took the older cars and they put these, you know, coyote motors in them and these crate motors, and you're getting the best of both worlds. Exactly. You, know I mean? you, get, you get the older car, you put disc brakes on it, mm-hmm. you put a, a solid drivetrain in it, and on the surface, it looks like that car. Yes. But it's drivable, like a modern car. And that's a wonderful thing, and I think that's going to be... It's, it's, it's a thing right now, but that'll last for a while, and then the pendulum will swing in some other direction, and in 10 years, it'll be something else. There's a guy on the internet with a 72 Charger or a 70 Charger, something like that, the long... Dodge Chargers, mm-hmm. right? With a Tesla motor in it. Cool. He, uh, the batteries are in the back. Yep. So it's the whole Very thing. Cool. You have the Model A's like like you. It's just, and the common theme is this, it's just the passion and how people are. You know, I, I, I'm a big believer in we should all have a thing, you know? Everybody needs your, a hobby. Yes, that's yes. right. That's Very right. much. So what's next? Did you, you did an engine swap recently, did you not? We did. What we did was we um, took the engine out of the Speedster and we put it in the Roadster that we're building for the track. And that is now up and running. Uh, it's crudely wired, but everything runs. Nothing leaks, and that's a wonderful thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we'll get that squared away probably by the fall. And I think the first event we'll go to will be in September. And the engine that went in the Speedster had been rebuilt um, by a place in Strasburg, Pennsylvania, Schwamm's Engine Rebuilding. They specialize in Model A engines and other engines of that era. And that has a few nice things in it. It's got a little bit more of a healthy cam in it. It breathes a little bit better. It's got a high compression head. High compression meaning six to one. (laughs) Model A's came stock with a four to one compression ratio. Mainly because a lot of people think gasoline is worse now than it was. Gasoline back in the 20s and 30s was really good gas, was like 71 octane. Mm. So these were designed originally to be hand cranked to start it. Farmers could run them on kerosene if they had to. So you didn't need a lot of compression. No. So dare I say a choppy cam? Uh, yes, you may. It's oh. uh, Basically, it's a cam based on a, a, a grind from a fellow by the name of Winfield mm. who built racing engines in the 30s it's called a three-quarter race cam uh it's a little bit of a choppy idle but still streetable and uh oversized valves um big changes because model a's have stock ones have updraft carbs carburetors on the bottom and they pull Mm. up from the bottom these have downdraft carburetors the carburetors are strombergs that originally date to the mid 30s and have been rebuilt Mm. Uh, Ford made them for two years it's called the Stromberg 81 they ran them on what were called V860 engines 60 horsepower small V8 engines Wow! they were trying to be fuel efficient in an era when I guess that was a thing because of the depression mm. but Interesting. the cars ended up being underpowered for the size they were and the V860 engines ended up being really popular with the midget racers of the era so you see more of them in those cars. Gotcha. So yeah, she she gets up and goes. She runs nice. Um, 
still sorting a few little things out with it, but we're, we're trying to find a sweet spot. But uh, both cars run dual point Mallory ignitions that we set up on the machine we have. Oh, so uh, no, no points. You have a, is this an electronic ignition? No, they're both full points. Oh, okay. I had an electronic ignition and I, I moved away from it. That's sitting up in the cabinet for something else. Matt run, runs one on his car and he's very happy with it. Um, I just started going down, ex exploring the idea of using regular points ignitions. And the old Mallory dual points from the 60s and the 50s became available and we just started playing with them and nice. we're learning a bunch about them but again it's like i can learn about it play with it if it works i'll use it if not nothing do you have to set nothing. the point gap and all that like you, you set the point yeah, gap what's nice is that. we we have an old sun distributor machine so i can set it 